One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're gonna rock around the clock tonight. Put your flat bags on. Join me, hot. Rockin' all week with you. Hey everyone, this is Dan. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6, or Episode 16 of Rockin' All Week with You, the Happy Days podcast. This episode, we are covering the Happy Days episodes of the Cunningham Caper from January 21st, 1975, and the not making of a president from January 28th, 1975. And I I will say that in this episode, I am in a different location from where I normally record. So there may be some different acoustics here. And the the room I'm in, I forgot to bring the stand for the mic, so I'm actually holding the mic in my hand, sort of like an old-time commentator, uh, which might make for some variance in audio. It's going to be a little crazy, folks, but we're going to be all right. Yeah, so... Uh, so I've got it in my hand. I, I also did that because I I, um, I don't fully know much about Lowell Thomas, who is mentioned in the first episode. But I'd like to say he may have been one of those guys who, like, when he was doing broadcast sometime, would, like, hold the mic in his hand and be like, this exciting thing is happening. And, oh, my gosh, look at that exciting thing. And, oh, a third exciting thing just occurred. So what I'm going to do, what I'm going to try, I have said this several times, that when I'm watching these episodes, I actually move around the room and talk and pause the episode. And I'm not going to do that for this one because I'm in a room that doesn't really allow for the same sort of space, the, the space that I'm normally in when I watch them. But I thought what I do is I try sort of just pacing back and forth as I talk about the episode just to see if that does anything. If that, It's probably going to be exactly the same. Just you'll hear some mic movement or something like that. Yeah, you'll see yeah, the sound will go a little wonky at times. In the previous episode, we went back in time. Back in time. You think Marty McFly is over in Hill Valley around the time that uh, where Happy Days starts? Possibly, possibly, uh, twice. But and then we went sort of forward in time. This episode firmly. These episodes plant us f- firmly within the context of where the show is before the third season although one of them will place us in a really weird spot but we'll get to that when we get to that enough of my yakking let's talk the cunningham caper do up do up do up do up yeah all right so you are going to hear some wobble occasionally because i'm moving with the mic as i said uh, it's not in one spot because i could prop it in one spot but it would be precarious so i thought it would be more fun to move it so you are going to hear occasional wobble i apologize for that and um so i'm going to be moving back and forth so you may hear occasional moving back and forth and also some random noise from the room i'm in some sort of room tone as it were 15 seconds of room tone We did five seconds, and that's the room tone of the room. The funny thing is, I'm I'm in a space where I'm, I'm keeping myself as amused as I can, and so I actually have a, the film, the the late '80s French something or other English American. I don't know what the heck it is. Shot in Florida, co-production, Nightmare Weekend, distributed by Troma, 
and and released by Vinegar Syndrome a few years ago on Blu-ray, and I have the famous man killed by panties scene. And I know what you're thinking, Dan, don't say panties on a Happy Days podcast. Happy Days goes into the early 60s. We're going to get a little more liberal here, folks. And speaking of a little more liberal, you know, we're going to discuss what we get to the next one, uh, conservatives, liberals, things like that. Not too much. It's not going to go heavy into politics because I, today I can't. Uh, But uh, having said that, uh, I am, would like to talk to you about, yeah, that guy's getting killed by those panties. Sorry, I said it again. The Cunningham Caper, uh, directed by George Tyne. Is this the last one directed by someone else? It could be. It really could be. But it's not. I actually just looked ahead. There, there will be um, a few more directed by others as we go along. George Tyne will do a few more. So this is the Cunningham Caper. Directed by George Tyne. Uh, written by Michael Weinberger and James Ritz. January 21st, 1975. The basic premise here, and there's me standing up. So here we here we go. This is This is a whole new world of me podcasting here is it too loud is it too quiet i don't know i don't know the cunningham caper uh richie has asiatic flu and his family is going to see a screening of this is cinerama which came out in 1952 that doesn't mean this is 1952 because this is cinerama as far as i could tell showed throughout the 50s uh it it cinerama was a well we'll talk about cinerama i don't want to go too deep into cinerama because there are other stuff going on in, in the episode but uh, they're going to see this is Cinerama, which is something that would ha- it, it was almost like um, geez, what are they called? The road shows, you know, they used to do in the seventies. I think I think Quentin Tarantino did that with the Hateful Eight. I think like like where they're special productions where they're super long and you know you you buy well you you buy tickets ahead of time all the time now. But back in the day, it was like something like paint your wagon i'm kidding but it probably was paint your wagon something like camelot maybe i don't know why i chose those two movies mame i'm kidding probably not mame but um uh, the roadshow thing was you would buy your ticket in advance and you would go and you would see it because it was an extended screening it was something was going on with the screening that required extra setup and I don't mean something like, say, like uh, Kroger Bab Mom and Dad, where they would do the screening for men and the screening for women, and they would sell booklets. And th- I don't mean like that. These were these were like special screens. Like, um, are they, are they called road shows? I'm, I think I got that completely wrong. But like Private Life of Sherlock Holmes, the Billy Wilder film was supposed to be like that. But around that time is when those films started to bomb, so they had to cut the film down. Having said that, that's almost got nothing to do with what's going on in this movie. Cinerama required a special screening system of three cameras it was basically a huge uh aspect ratio and i i I think we've mentioned this before on the podcast about movies and tv in the 50s but we will mention that again in a moment i i i turns out i ramble even more when i'm pacing back and forth in a room with a cord i wish i had more room on this microphone cord but I, i can only go so far um I feel like I'm doing a show. Hey, everybody, this is Dan. Thank you for coming. Hey, you look great. Are you in show business? Then get your freaking feet off the stage. Yeah, come on. Uh, where was I? Okay, so they're going to Cinerama. Uh, Richie, uh, they're, they're not going to go. Uh, Mr. C wants to go. Mr. C doesn't want to go. Joni uh, wants to go uh, because if Richie's not going, they have an extra ticket so she can bring her friend like Rosita who will throw up during the roller coaster scene. The Fawn shows up with some dirty magazines for Richie to look at. Richie's bored out of his mind because he can't eat solid food, just like jello and ice cream. That's not bad. 
and uh, uh, Ralph and Potsy show up, and Ra uh, Potsy, under the name Potsy Kowalski, a fake ID. He didn't learn last time he got a fake ID. He got some sort of French 8mm stag film. And uh, Mr. C has an 8mm cam uh, uh, projector. So they're going to... So it's like, okay, you guys go have a great time. And Mrs. C convinced because Lowell Thomas, broadcaster... Um, yeah, I, I mentioned my broadcaster, um, writer, uh, uh, traveler. He knew Lawrence of Arabia. He was on CBS radio and NBC for, for ages. And I want to say I'm holding a microphone like him as I'm talking right here, but I don't think I am at all. I, who am I thinking of? <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, probably a sports broadcaster of some sort. Uh, so so she's convinced by a huge Lowell Thomas to go and they go and Richie is there and he's waiting for Potsy and Ralph to show up and a burglar played by the grape uh, the grape whoo the great Herb Edelman <laughs> maybe he was grape I don't know grape babe the great Herb Edelman shows up and he's going to rob the house and he's got a gun in his pocket um, and then Ralph and Potsy show up and they all get sequestered to the, the bathroom and then you know, he's robbing the house, so what do we do? How do we save the day? What's going on? Maybe the Fonz will help. That's Those are the basics uh, behind the episode. I will start off with this. Uh, I will start off with dating-wise. This is Cinerama does not date it dating-wise because it was something that was 52 but moved all over and traveled all over because there were you had to have a certain setup to show it. And so when they're when they're talking about it, it's very much like we were going to see Cinerama tonight. So it's very much like an event. So this could be still 57, 58. I forget now where I said we were. Do, do I think we're in 57, 58? Again, you know, the fact that like, unless they have the heat absolutely blasting in the house, the fact that Richie has Asiatic flu and he isn't all bundled up means it's probably warm time and it looks relatively warm outside. So it's it's funny, like, it always seems to be spring or autumn in Milwaukee on happy days, except when there's a blizzard. And so it's very tough to gauge what the heck is going on. It would be tougher to gauge in a few seasons when we get another blizzard. But I hope you can't hear my feet dragging too much on the carpet that I'm on here. So, where was I? Oh, um, yeah, so it's very much a... Uh, I'm saying it's still wherever we think it is. Uh, early 57, uh, late 50... I'm sorry, late 57, early 58, late 58, something like maybe even 59. I still, I still think... What, what was it? What did I think? We were in 57 this past Halloween and Christmas, and now we're in 58. Maybe maybe we're in spring of 58. I don't know. I feel like maybe we're a little earlier if Cinerama is still going around. I, f I feel like there's only a certain amount of time Cinerama would have lasted. Uh, Cinerama being a, like I said, a specific aspect ratio, like VistaVision. Uh, White Christmas was VistaVision. Uh, the Searchers was VistaVision. I'm a big fan of both of those films. I prefer The Searchers by a long mile. Uh, but VistaVision Vista Vision was basically 185. And it was... I guess we'll talk about it here before I tell you what I think of the episode. In that... in the, Yeah, in the, in the early 50s, you had around the same time that mono was developing into stereo and 10-inch and, and 45s and 78s, over oh, 45, 78s were developing into 10-inch records and 12-inch records and mono was going into stereo, you also had the uh, this thing of TV beating um, uh, uh, movies. Now, I don't know, like, I, I don't think they were worried, like, back in the day when, like, 
forgive me, like Amos and Andy in the early 30s when it was shutting down towns because people were would the 15 minutes that Amos and Andy was on every Monday through Friday they they stopped doing nothing I don't think that didn't bother the movie people but obviously this did because it was images uh, of, course, of course this time too it was funny TV was killing radio and it was also kind of killing movies radio couldn't really do anything to save itself it died in what was it September of 62 as it were in America but movies could combat it, and it did that with the aspect ratios. Uh, if you don't know aspect ratios, I probably can't help you. I've spent much of my life after film school, college, trying to explain to some people the way aspect ratio works. In fact, I think, have I told the story already? I, the story about the, the, the lady in the Target the day the first season. The first season of Happy Days came out on DVD the first day the first season of Monsters came out. I went to a Target in Sherman Oaks, I think, Van Nuys, Sherman Oaks, and Sino, somewhere, a Target, it, wait a minute, it was the Target, oh, it was, it was in Van Nuys, and on, on um, Sepulveda, um, uh, and uh, there are probably like five Targets on Sepulveda, actually, now that I say that, and, and, but, and I went in there to buy Munster Season 1, and I, don't, I feel like I've told this story, can someone... I'm not going to tell this story again right now. I feel like I should. But the have I told the Happy Days lady story? I feel like I have. So I'm going to continue on. But aspect ratios are, you know, uh, the modern day widescreen TV is 178. That means, that means I'm looking at one right now. You go up, up the side, one. You go across the top, that's 178. Uh, t uh, uh, movies generally prior to the early to mid 50s were 133. And picture box, picture box, um, picture tube, um, picture box is another thing. Picture tube, uh, 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 televisions, the old style televisions, old style televisions as if, you know, it's, uh, whoa, hey, it was 5,000 years ago. Picture tube televisions were also more or less 133. So that's why if you watched a film like, say, uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, uh, you, if you watch that on your old TV, it looked great, and it was lots of fun. But if you watch the film, like Escape from the Bronx, I don't know. Yeah, I, that that's a dumb example. I was just thinking of MST movies where the 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 pan and scanning is so bad that they reference it, but they don't reference the fact that the that bad framing doesn't have anything to do with what's happening. I guess let's go for James Bond films or or the original Star Wars trilogy, um, going off of American Graffiti and George Lucas. Those were all shot scope two, three, five, which means uh, the pan and scanning would have been terrible. And but but most films like French Connection say, which I adore, was one eight five. So the panning and scanning would have been less. But you all know how the aspect ratios work. I, I hope I hope I see really I saw a really weird thing on a something weird video thread on Facebook where someone complained about the Agfa something weird blu-ray that came out with satan's children in it which is a really strange southern satanic goofball homoerotic odd but lots of fun and sweaty as hell it's not like it's just it's very warm film uh weird film that 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 uh, something weird had released on dvd through image in like 2002 
2000, something like that. But they released it 133 to fit the picture tubes. But now in the Blu-ray, it's 185, the original aspect ratio. And there's a thread on there where some guy was like, um, uh, everyone be wary because this is cropped. Look at the image on the DVD and then the image on the Blu-ray. Um, this is not right. And people are like, well, no, that is right because it, it was meant to be shown the way the Blu-ray has it. It's cropped on there. And it became this weird thing where suddenly you realize that all these people who love these movies don't understand that the movies were shot in a certain way and they're compromised and all these other I mean you, you see that too if you see like a if you go on a channel where they take something like Sanford and Son and stretch it to fit your widescreen TV that's wrong if they take something like Halloween and it fits the original Halloween and it fits your TV that's wrong one is stretching one is chomping off bits and bobs of the screen so that's aspect ratio and Cinerama was a huge epic aspect ratio that would incorporate peripheral vision I've never I have not seen this in Cinerama they showed it a few years ago at, at I think like the Egyptian or something and I missed it but um, I have seen some films in a similar thing there's a, a amusement park I grew up near called Darien Lake not the drag queen the amusement park and they had this big dome and they would show like roller coaster footage and strange horror movie footage and it was a dome so it was basically like all like when it was the roller coaster footage it was like literally like uh, look look stare at your wall right now and look how far you can see imagine the image stretching all that way that's 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 kind of cinerama and they went over the grand canyon which is mentioned the vina boys choir is in it which is mentioned there's a roller coaster scene there's a huge lowell thomas who produced it and so they're going to that and that's flipping cool and that's an event now i've been talking a lot and i've been talking a lot because I think, yeah, this is the new way to do it. I've got the cord in one hand. I've got the, the mic in the other. I feel like I'm... I was I was going to start singing, but I need to get back to the flipping episode. So, uh, so yeah, so we get the Cinerama, so that doesn't really quite date it, and the 8mm film doesn't really quite date it. Um, I feel like, though, 57, if this was 58, that may have been a little late-ish for this is Cinerama, but I, I'm not 100% certain, uh, because I know it was playing in theaters, like, in 54... But this ain't fit for, obviously. I mean, I think... I almost get the feeling that they'd seen the movie before. And they were so excited they got a ticket to see it again. Because they know all the bits from it. You know, and Joni's like, Oh, Rosarita, bring her. She sees the roller coaster. She's going to barf. I got to bring all these barf bags. Our little girl's growing up. Awesome. So let's hop to the main portion of the episode. Uh, which is with Herb Edelman as the burglar. Now, Herb Edelman, I know from lots of stuff, lots of stuff. I am going to... I just saw him in, uh, was it The Strange and Deadly Occurrence? The TV movie that we discussed on Made for TV Mayhem when we did our uh, Moxie tribute. Uh, he's the um, uh, the law partner of Robert Stack in that movie. He doesn't get a lot to do, but he's very Edelman-ish when he shows up. And and yeah, within this next year or so, he, he is in... He is in Ellery Queen twice uh, with, with Jim Hunton and, and David Wayne. Uh, I, f I say twice and I've suddenly forgotten what he was the second time. But I do know the first time he is in um, the Old Lang Syne episode, which is probably one of my favorite episodes of anything. He's the cab driver who gets Ellery as close as he can to the hotel. And he's so good in it, and he's so fun in it. And he's great in this because he has he has a bit of menace, 
but not much. And in a show like this, there shouldn't be much menace. The, the burglar shouldn't be a goofball. You know, it shouldn't be Jerry Lewis coming in and falling down steps, you know, or, or you know, someone, someone of a, you know, it shouldn't be Red Skelton, someone like that, you know, of a similar Milton Burrow. You know, it shouldn't be someone like that. But, but Herb Edelman brings just enough sort of, you feel like he's a burglar, but you also feel like he's a, oh God, I had such a bad day. I went to rob a bank, my first bank. The lives were too long. My car got towed. What are you going to do? Oy vey, you know, ugh. You know, it's just a rough freaking day. You know, and, and you can't, um, and he's good in it. And, and he, he, he has a threatening feel, but, but um, it's never, it's never uh, rough and tough. And he pretends to have a gun in his pocket, which is fun. Oh, I gave the game away there. And, and it's great because, um, <laughs> yeah, he and Richie have some great scenes. And then Ralph and Potsy show up and are completely oblivious. Like, um, uh, the burglar hides in the closet. And he's like, hey, you know, and points at the gun in his pocket. And uh, Richie tries to get Ralph and Potsy to help him completely fail. And they all end up in the, in the bathroom together. And there's the toilet. There's the, you know, in the 50s, you would not have seen a toilet. But this being 1975, post All in the Family, you very clearly see, like, Potsy on one side of the bathroom, Richie on the other side in the background with a magazine, Ralph sitting on the toilet. And I know what you're thinking, damn, that's a little gross. Ralph needs to close the door. He ain't doing that, folks. He's too scared. That's too much going on to do that. Come on, be, be good to yourselves. Sorry, I had a bit of a pause there, folks. Nightmare Weekend ended. And like I said, this is um, in the spirit of keeping spirits up. <clears throat> I, uh, I I do a thing a couple times a year where I go through the Toxies Triple Terror box sets. And um, at, you can look those up. But there are 21 movies on seven box sets. And a few of them have come out in Blu-ray. The DVDs are all awful looking. But I do a random number generator thing to pick out the movies. And some of these movies I adore. Nightmare Weekend, Dark Side of Midnight, Curse of the Screaming Dead, uh, The Hungan. And some I don't. Uh, Stuff Stephanie and the Incinerator, Beyond Evil, which I have on Blu-ray. I'm not terribly enamored of. But I just did the random number generator and got Chillers, which is probably the only film I can think of off the top of my head, horror film from West Virginia, which is an anthology film and is super fun. And it's uh, written and directed by a gentleman named Daniel Boyd. If you watch the movie, you can I bet you you can pick out the moment when the director makes a cameo appearance. Boom. So, but I had to put that on. So, what I'm going to do right now, because I've been talking too much about this episode. No, no, well, I, I can talk for a while. I'm just, I'm, I'm in a new space here. So, I, I, I love this episode. I think this episode is genuinely funny. I think it starts off funny with the Cinerama stuff. And there's a great bit where, like, no longer does Potsy come in through Richie's bedroom window. It's the Fonz with a bunch of dirty magazines. And, well, he got the Playboy, but the others are like True Detective and the things like that, which I guess parents hated. I don't know. Whenever I read that stuff, I have a um. My wife bought me a book, uh, like um, with like cryptozoology articles in it, collected from like fifties magazines or something. And they're so they're they're crazy and they're 
it's kind of innocuous at the same time, but they're but they're fun, and and so I, I guess the sort of sleaziness of of some of these things would have. He said, "Why not some Mad magazines?" I guess Playboy was fun. I don't know how new did they get in Playboy, circa fifty six, fifty seven. I think you're th- thinking to yourself, Dan. Well, how nude can you get? How nude can you get? Yeah, yeah. How nude can you get? I don't know. I'm I'm asking because I um, I really only looked at Playboys like in the 80s surreptitiously and I remember there being a lot of soft focus and I remember falling in love with every single woman in the magazines and um, so I can understand where Richie is coming from at this time so I just think it's a joyous episode I mean the scene where they're in the bathroom and they annoy the burglar on more than one occasion and that scene with the shaving cream and Richie rushing the burglar is really funny and it's just it's a funny episode there are funny jokes in it and it's it's not like you know there's sitcom funny where, where it's like everyone's got a gag and everyone's saying their stuff and, and happy days will be that soon but this is funny funny which is just it's just a lot of good jokes and some of it may be overselling it with like um like some of Joni's oh I got to bring all these barf bags that nah, maybe overselling it a bit but still a joy and I think once the burglar shows up because you don't expect the burglar to show up and I mean when you were originally watching it you wouldn't have said oh the Cunningham came I don't know that you would have seen that you wouldn't have seen that title so so it would have been Richie is has an empty house and we've seen this we just saw this a few episodes before at open house where Richie has an empty house and the family is gone and and they're going to come over and they're going to watch some naughty films suddenly there's a burglar it's like yes awesome it's a nice twist on the sort of thing we've seen several times in the series already and the fact that it's Herb Edelman and Ron Howard is funny and when Ponzi and Richie shows up there it's super funny now I will go to the ending real quick spoiler uh, Fonzie helps save the day I think Fonzie starts off as a hood becomes a great character and then becomes kind of like a superhero and then becomes kind of like a grown-up mature adult by the end and in fact, like what? What is it? The first episode of season eleven is the one where he has to. He wants to ride over this big hill or something, sort of to half prove that he's still a superhero, kind of. But at this point, with Fonzie, he is still. He is. He. We know. We know they love him. I did not know he delivered pizzas from Fonzarelli's Pizzeria or something. I. I don't fully understand because when he shows, he shows up twice. He shows up to the house when Richie still has the Asiatic flu and Richie is like shooting um, wadded up pieces of paper at the waste paper basket pretending to, you know, announcing a ball game, basketball game. And um, the and Fonzie shows up there and then he shows up again at the end with the pizza, which is $1.75. And from Fonzarelli's Pizzeria, and it's it's for real. And, and apparently they ordered a pizza from somewhere that Fonzie delivers from. What? Where where does that? I am so confused by that scene because that is almost a superhero Fonzie scene. That is almost like when you need him, he suddenly shows up. 
with a pizza and saves the day because it's great because the burglar's in the closet, the whole closet. We get we get more extension beyond to the left of the front door than we've ever got in the show. And Mrs. C goes up the steps at one point and we get to see her from the hallway come up the steps and come towards us. So we really get to a feeling of space in this episode. I'll let you go back and look uh, look, look at that, but it's really cool, I think. It's really nice to see so yeah when the fawn shows up he's apparently delivering for pizzeria place that's apparently fonzarelli's pizza pizza and it's great because there's a moment where the fawns is like come on guys you got to pay me what's going on i'm got 50 cents to dollar 75 and they're trying to uh, motion to the closet and richie just leans in towards the fawns and you remember um previously when when the fawns leaned towards richie like that he was blowing in his ear because he thought Richie was a hot gal. And then there was the episode where Richie did that to the Fonz and Richie and the Fonz was like, "Are you going to blow in my ear?" But now gold in my ear. Are you, but but now at this point they're they're so uh close that Richie just leans in and you just you don't hear what he says, but he's just like and Fonz is just like, "Why didn't you say so?" And the great thing about Fonz is that the Fonz like all the best heroes is and you you could pick your hero <laughs> i would always say the doctor from doctor who or some like sherlock holmes but but all the best <clears throat> pardon me all the best heroes are the smartest people in the room and that can include someone like say jackie chan's character um uh, being swarmed by 10 12 20 30 40 guys depending upon what movie and figuring out the way to use what he has to stop them and the fawns just he goes he steps towards the closet the burglar's in the closet he's told the burglar has a gun he takes a chair jams it under the doorknob the burglar can't get out of the closet. And the burglar says, I'm going to fire my gun. But the Fonz knows that that ain't going to happen because there's, and I've forgotten it now. I should have written it down. I'm in a room at the moment without paper or pencil. But it's, um, what is it? Um, bring a gun to the, it's, it's, yeah, it's something on the lines of like, if you bring, it's poetry, it's prison poetry. It's if, if you bring a gun to a, a burglary, that's 10 years to life. So if you do a burglary and you fake a gun or just plain don't have a gun, then you, you, it, won't be, it won't be as troublesome. So yeah, so, so, so they capture the burglar and Mr. and Mrs. C come home. Uh, uh, Ronnie, <laughs> Richie sort of tells them, yeah, the burglar and this, that and the other. And they're like, oh, he's sick. He's had some hallucinations. And then it ends with this very funny moment. Uh, I forget where it is. Like, um, uh, what's what's the, uh, you know, where you just see the house and you hear Mr. C like voiceover. What's the blender doing in the living room? Don't worry about it, dear. Put it by the vacuum cleaner on the coffee table. It's great. It's a great episode. I really love it. Um, it uh, it's the kind of episode that we're not going to see. Oh, we are we are going to see similar things to it, I believe, in the in the coming season, but not quite with this sort of finesse. Like there, there's a moment where Ralph is explaining the plan involving shaving cream and Richie jumping at at the burglar, where where it's like Ralph in kind of a medium shot, and then it's almost kind of a two shot close up, almost of Richie and Potsy kind of looking and nodding and nodding. The kind of shots that from. Fonzie's getting married from the previous uh, episode, we're not going to see. So savor these shots 
because in nine episodes, uh, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 2, 3, yeah, nine episodes, everything is going to change. So this is a super fun, very funny, and just fun. I mean, that's the thing about it is there's no, there's no, no one learns a lesson. No one, you know, is, is, sits down and has to have a talk or anything like that. It's just silly and funny and there's a bit of danger, but it's never danger that's, that's like soap opera kind of like worrisome danger. It's simply fun. I really like this episode. And I've talked way too long about it and gone off on way too many tangents because my Lowell Thomas style, which could be completely wrong, of doing this, I just sat down on a bed, is is uh, getting in the way. So I'm going to stop right now. Let's go on to the next episode, The Not Making of a President, directed by Jerry Paris, written by Lloyd Garver and Ken Hecht, January 28th, 1975. Down, 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 be be down, 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 be be down, 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 be be down. All right, the not making of a president. The basic premise behind this one is that we are in the 1956 election, which was November 6th, 1956, Eisenhower versus Adelaide Stevenson. Uh, which I, I believe was the, the, the lineup for the previous election. And uh, yeah, um, you, you, if you know <laughs> history, Eisenhower won. Uh, but uh, the, the premise behind this episode is that Richie is sort of following the politics of his dad, who's a Republican, is a voter for Ike, and his dad was a Republican before him. But... The, the rumor going around, and, and which apparently is kind of true, is that the uh, Stevenson gals are more with it. They're more stacked. I don't know. And he's got a gal that he is nutty for, uh, that he wants to... Um... <laughs> well, uh, uh, what, what it comes... Oh, I'm sorry. I actually have the episode playing here, and I have it a little too loud. Sorry, I'm still, I'm still moving around. Um, uh, uh, well, he sees Ralph and Potsy... Um, uh, uh, campaigning for Stevenson and they're campaigning for Stevenson because yeah the, the gals are I guess Stevenson's gals are, are hotter than um, than uh, than uh, Eisenhower's gals I looked that up online I googled that and I could I could not find what whether or not that was something um, but there's a blonde named Debbie who Richie is nutty for um he, I guess he loves her legs. He mentions her legs at one point. I don't know her. The, the skirts she's wearing are all like mid-calf and, or jeans. So I, I don't know uh, legs. Uh, I'm a leg man, so I, I wasn't uh, enthralled by her legs. But but he's kind of nutty for Debbie. And uh, But Debbie is, well, no, I'm lecturing her run, no, a little under the knee right there. Um, eh, but but he goes crazy for Debbie, so he he backs uh, Stevenson, and his dad doesn't, and they get in arguments about politics, and then Richie does a speech for Stevenson, and then it all ends up at the um, the uh, election night, which I just said was it November sixth, fifty six. Um, so we can discuss the dating of this episode whenever you want, because this one throws stuff in a cocked hat 
in a way that others have not because this because when this begins everyone is is uh, politicking for Stevenson or, or Eisenhower um, but very specifically at the end uh, it's said that Richie is giving a speech on Saturday and then we cut after the speech we cut to and forgive me I'm still in the same location I was for last recording and a really loud vehicle went by so Richie is said to give a speech on a Saturday and then then we cut to election day and on election day Mr. C says to Richie after Stevenson is lost I really liked your speech which is an interesting moment because to me that says that the speech was just a few days ago so I would like to put forward the theory that uh, the first time I watched this episode as I was watching it until we got to the final scene at election day which is a very specific date I thought okay maybe we're in September or October but if if he gives a speech and Mr. C isn't happy about it. But then he says to him, you gave a good speech or I liked your speech. To me, that means the speech came within the vicinity. So to me, this episode takes place within the last week of October of 56 and ends on, what did I say, November 6th, 56? And the weird thing is that that means that this episode is set at least a year or more, 15 months or more before where we just were because Gloria Linda Pearl is with Richie at Halloween is with Richie at Christmas and and it's implied uh, uh, no not at Christmas uh, at Halloween sorry I'm I love Halloween so I, I just brought that up she, she's gone there but she's with Richie oh no she's Richie at like the homecoming Sorry, yeah, Richie the Homecoming, circa late September, early October, and at Halloween, which is October. And to me, this episode, like I said, the Saturday is the Saturday 6543, the 3rd of November, and that the week before is when this episode takes place. Like, I don't know, school isn't really mentioned, um, but the thing is, like, Debbie says, you should give the speech on Saturday. And so to me, um, the fact that to me, like I said, Mr. C says I liked your speech means the Tuesday of the election is is the one right before the Saturday. And the, you should give the speech on Saturday means that she ain't talking to him on like Friday, maybe Thursday, maybe Wednesday. The thing is, right around there, we get Halloween. But we know that at Halloween 57, we know that at Halloween... Earlier in the season, I, I don't. They don't say what year, but we know that Halloween earlier in the season, he was with Gloria. So that means that this is a, this episode takes place at least a year before Haunted. And I would like to think of it in this respect. You know, The Simpsons. It's a, it was a TV show. It's animated, and they had episodes. Was it the way we was? The way we were, the way we was, and and a couple others early on, in my favorite seasons of the show, uh, like uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven ish, eight, um, and in those early seasons of the show, we had a flashback, a very specific flashback to, you know, uh, Marge and Homer meeting, Marge and Homer getting married, um, Bart being born, Lisa being born, Maggie being born, boom. I think that this is a flashback episode clearly 
it, it ends on a very specific date. So all you folks have been telling me, well, the show's a Fantasia, Dan. It's like, it's all about the end of the 50s. No, 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 no. That election date is a very specific date. And Mr. C, like, can you, I can't imagine a dad being like, if, if Richie had delivered that speech in at the start of October, you know, like 30 days later, I really liked your speech. No, he'd say that to his son because the fun, the, the, the cool thing about it is that throughout the episode, Mr. C hates Richie's politics. But at the end, he when Richie has, uh, Stevenson is lost and, and Debbie doesn't want to go out with him. And there's an interesting bit, which I think ties in with Gloria because Gloria is so different from Debbie, who I find boring. Um, there'll be other Debbies. And I, I'll like... Uh, I'll go back to that. There'll be other Debbies. I hope not. And I think after uh, this Debbie, I don't think a lot of uh, Richie's girlfriends were very Debbie-like. Gloria certainly isn't. Gloria, to me, is... Yeah, she's hot stuff. And I miss her very much. So, um... Yeah, so so this is an episode... Yeah, it's the, it's the election. And the stuff is going on. And... And it's, it's the end of October, first week of November, 1956, um, which, again, places it at least a year, year and a half-ish beyond where we were, except for maybe open house, which maybe was around this time. I don't know. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good episode. I don't like it as much as the previous one. Um, I'm not a huge politics guy, Um I'm not going to deep and go deep into the politics uh, right now. I don't think that is something that I should do right now. Um, I want this podcast to be something you can listen to at any time and enjoy, so I don't want to get too topical. Um, but, yeah. I, I, well, I'll say this. I'll say this. The, I remember very specifically my stepdad. My stepdad is very Republican. He loved the Gulf War. He loved the Bushes. He loves Trump. He loves them all. He loves them all. They can do no wrong, even if you present him with something saying they did this thing wrong. He will deny it and he will say that other people are being sons of bitches and this, that, and the other. So I don't I don't get I don't get involved. But but the thing about this, this episode sort of struck a chord with me, which is probably why I, I am not terribly comfortable with it because my dad step my my dad died when i my dad drowned when i was very young so i i don't know what my dad would have thought but my mom i don't know what my mom would have thought i hope i actually think that the interesting thing about this episode is i think richie chooses stevenson because he wants to go out with debbie ralph and potsy say so mr c chooses eisenhower because his dad would have chosen eisenhower the only person in the episode who seems to go their own way is Mrs. C. And that's awesome. There's a there's an underlying plot line here, which is maybe the main plot line. I don't know. But but there's an underlying plot line of, you know, um, Mrs. C is like when Mr. C is going, no, no, no. We're Republicans. We vote Republican. You voted for Eisenhower, right, Marion? Well, who else? What do you mean? Who else? You know, and and it's like the whole t- and and what is it? Um, um, well, well, you need to go to apologize to your father, um, for for saying uh, this about Eisenhower, and Richie's like, why? And Joni has a great line, where, <laughs> which I still say sometimes in relation to 
bad office jobs I have. Like, um, she says, like, yeah, I always apologize because if you know if I don't, it gets in the way of me getting my allowance. And that's the thing is like, I always apologize for anything I do bad in like office jobs and things like that because who cares? I'm there to get paid. You know, if if me apologizing will bring it up, you know, make maybe get paid. Okay, then who cares what I say? And and jo- I love that Joni says that. And Joni, again, oh, another... No, this isn't a tangent. I'm hitting them as I hit them because I'm still walking around in this room. And luckily, I haven't been interrupted by too much noise apart from uh, some that friggin' monster truck that came by earlier. But the thing about, the thing about it is if this is 56... And most of the season was late 57, early 58. Then Joni's age belies all of this because Joni right now in this show isn't, is older. She, that's the thing. Like, like you know, uh, some of the cast members might be in a part where we're going to get a bit older as we go. But Joni, Aaron Moran is actually in at the age. I forget what age she is here. 12, 13, 14. She's at the age where year after year, she looks older. So the previous episode, where they go to Cinerama, she looks right. Um, they say it, she's 12 or whatever. I don't know. Uh, and, and, and she's 12. In this episode, Richie's 17. But you look at this one, and if this is a year or so before that one, it doesn't make sense. She doesn't look 11 here. She looked 11-ish in the previous season. I think they say she's that age in the previous season. So Aaron, it's funny. Joni is the great leveler of all sort of the time periods and everything that go on goes on here because she and and chachi scott bale will have this happen when he shows up he grows too and so he's like just a kid when he shows up but then he becomes a man by the end and and Joni is just a little kid when she shows up 10 11 11 Uh, but now she's 12 maybe almost 13 and so it's it's funny because you watch it and go okay they're throwing us back, and so so let me finish my flashback thing. I'm lost, folks. I'm a little lost. So my flashback thing is that I think this is a flashback episode like those Simpsons flashback episodes, in, except those Simpsons flashback episodes actually say we're a flashback. This one doesn't, and that's what makes it weird to watch. Boom. I'm going to leave it at that. Now, there's a great running gag about the garage door not working. And they they use it so when Mr. C is fixing the garage door, Joni and Mrs. C are holding up the garage door. As Mr. C is fixing it and and uh, uh, Richie is kind of his nurse, wrench, pff, pliers, pff, and Mr. C is berating Richie. And, and you get kind of like Joni being like, I don't care. I just want to stop holding this garage door. But Mrs. C kind of like, um, yeah, uh, yeah, you, you, I, don't, I don't agree with you. And I love it because like, it's, like, it's like Richie saying, Dad, you're being narrow-minded. And Mrs. C saying, like, you're being narrow-minded too. I think, I think that's the thing at the end of the episode is like, like, I remember when I argued with my stepdad about the Gulf War, which I protested, and he, he yelled at me and yelled at me, and I was a little too old and a little too big at that time to, um, but he yelled at me, he, he yelled at me, and, and, and my mom never said a word. 
But the thing with Mrs. C is Mrs. C is clearly on Richie's side and is trying to sort of ingratiate, as it were, Mr. C into this space. And, um, and it's so good because I actually think like, you know, like Richie delivers a speech and it's really awkward and there's a guy who, who heckles and Mr. C calms him down and then Fonzie is on Eisenhower's side and delivers like a, hey, I like Ike, yeah, come on, my bike likes Ike, yeah. And then it's a great scene where he comes in and consoles um, Richie in the end and you sort of realize that the only reason why the Fonz is doing this is because you get sad gals who lose and he can console them. And just watching him throwing up his thumb and slapping his hand on the door as he goes out, it's like, okay, the Fonz, this is, this is, this, this episode is, I, okay, I will say this. I just realized this right at the moment. This episode is older Fonz, a younger Fonz. Yes, this is older in the show, younger by age Fonz. This is the, this is the Fonz who isn't full on with, um, the Cunninghams, because when when he gives his speech, you're like, oh boy, and when he does his stuff, like, oh boy, but he's kind of, he's kind of Henry Winkler's kind of acting it, kind of like modern day at this time, Fonz, but but he's also his characterization is fifty six Fonz or first season Fonz. I I forget what we we gauge the first season as being, but I I just love it and um. I you know I I don't like this episode as much as Cunningham Caper I, the politics of it you know you know we get uh, Wendy and Marcia are near the end of their reign remember a few episodes ago when we didn't know who Wendy and Marcia were and Marcia is there and, and kind of like like introducing the folks and Wendy shows up and it's funny because Wendy like takes off her coat and she's got a little bathing suit on and she's like you got to get out there and vote and it's like suddenly the producers are like wait a minute we have Misty Rowe on the show they suddenly realized it right at the time when she's leaving because they had, they had her in the short shorts and things like that but this is like her full on being like hey look at me I'm sexy. Yes. Yes. And, and so, like, a Joy Lansing sexy, kind of. Uh, maybe not quite as buxom, but but still sexy. And and so it's like, yeah. And then Marsha is on there, and I think I think they're near the end of their time. And they do a, they do a great thing that reminded me of that Batman, uh, 1966-68 Batman two-parter. Oh, gosh. I don't remember what the two-parter is. Is it Dishonor the Penguin, His Honor the Penguin? It's the one that, that they kind of half-use in Batman Returns a little bit. Oh, I want to watch Batman Returns again right now. Um, the, where they... Um, uh, where they... Uh, where where the Penguin runs for, like, mayor of Gotham or something, and Batman runs too, and Batman is so square and so lame... And Penguin gets all the votes and all the this, that, and the other. And it's like, Batman is like, yes, at the end of my, you know, um, at the end of my town meeting, um, you can come up to me and I'll answer more questions. And Penguin's like, at the end of my town meeting, we got, you know, uh, beer and, and, and hot dogs and hamburgers and popcorn and ice cream. Do it. You know, everyone goes crazy. And that's what happens here. You know, it's like at the end of the, the rally, you know, it's like the Stevenson booth just has a bunch of earnest students, whereas the Eisenhower booth has like hot dogs and root beer. And that to me, that that to me is almost almost like modern day 
Republican sort of stuff where it's like, yeah, but I'll stop there. But, but, but so that's fun. Uh, that's fun. I love that. And it all ends with the election night coverage and election night coverage. Well, they, it is election night coverage because they had the TV there. And it's weird because pres- the, the, the entirety of the episode is about Richie trying to go out with Debbie. And I've played long games like this. I've done long games like this where like I, like, I fall for a gal. Uh, this not right now uh, not, not not right now I'm, I'm standing in a small room right now pacing back and forth with the microphone I, I'm, I'm I, there's nothing happening right now but but this recording this recording is all th- there is right now but I've had that before where I was like um there was a gal Debbie Feldman she was um in high school she was a um uh musical theater gal and I I we became friends and um and we became really close friends for about two months and it was like as we we're going out they were working on the big musical i was getting closer and closer to her like richie with debbie here at oh i didn't realize debbie yep that that's probably why i said that and i getting closer and closer with debbie and everything like that and then we sort of got to the point where like all right now is the time for the show and she did the show, and the show was awesome. At the end of the show, she was just like, she like walked to me like, thanks, Dan. She held out her hand, shook my hand, and then went past me to other people. And, um, you know, like Richie, I said, I hope there aren't any other Debbies. I work with a woman named Debbie who's very nice. Um, but uh, but, <laughs> but that's not another Debbie. That's just a, a Debbie I work near. Um uh, but but yeah no I I get I get what Richie is up to here because in high school and in college I did that too, and it it's fun that I, I love that they are they are able to take something that probably a lot of us and forgive me I'm moving my mic I still got it in my hand here uh, walking around I got it in my hand here, oh my god. What podcast is this? Um, but I'm 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 walking around. But I love the fact that this episode, apart from the Mrs. C stuff, this episode really is about a young man, a teenage boy, falling for a gal and following her lead to try to get a chance to go out with her and failing. Because I had that happen about a dozen times in high school and college. So at the end, I think that's why I love this episode. Um, it's not its not a favorite. It's not a favorite in any way, shape, or form. But I love the way that Mr. C comes in at the end and says, You know what? You know, you know what? Like, uh, you, you, you stood up to me. You know, it's so like, you're, you're a man now. You're the man of the house. Where'd Chuck go? Where did Chuck go? You're the man of the house, and, and Ralph is is making out in the closet with a gal, which shows that he never cared about any of this. And I don't know that Richie did either, but at a, after a time, I think he, he just wanted to sort of stand up to what his dad thought, maybe. And I, I, I applaud. I applaud that. And so that, to me, makes it super, super fun. And um, I just... I. I think that makes it makes it a good, good episode. The, the father son thing, and Mister C being like, "It's nice to have another man in the house, you know, someone I could talk to about the politics." And that's great, you know. But 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 then they keep bringing in Mrs. C, like who goes against him, and that's awesome. And it's a fun episode. It's it's political ish. 
I, I guess the most political part of it, and I'll stop talking at this point because I've been talking far too long because I'm pacing around with this. Um, but I will say that I think at the end of it, the, the thing that must be the most interesting for people in January of 75, is, because I forgot this, that Ike's vice president was Richard Nixon. So if you're watching this in January of 75, at the end of the episode, they show a still photograph of the victorious Ike and Tricky Dick. And you got to be like, if you're watching this at the time, you got to be like, okay, okay, I may have liked Ike, but wow, there's something going on there. And geez louise i love it i love it the show is 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 as is, is is bringing so much joy and we have how many episodes do we have left in this season i don't know because i am not in a place where i have my discs nearby 16 17 18 19 20 21 22 23 um eight episodes left i think i think and uh, cruising the howdy duty show will be in the next one and get a job is after that so next one he has cruising and this is uh cruising oh with guest star al pacino this is going to be a rough one i'm kidding of course oh that's a flipping great film um and uh oh and this was yeah cruising this was 75 this was what was Wilm Freakin, uh, Wilm Freakin making right then? Um, Exorcist was 73. Oh, geez, I don't even know. Uh, what was Sorcerer? I don't know. Um, uh, Frankenheimer did French Connection too. So, so uh, sorry. Uh, so, Cruisin' and the Howdy Doody Show are the next one. Cruising will have a... Cruisin', Cruisin', not Cruising. Well, that's like... Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's... Okay, we'll talk about that. I was going to say all the Cruisin' albums that came out in the 70s. We could, we could talk about that in the next one because I have Cruisin' 56, or I think, um, standing by to listen to later tonight, which is so much fun. And thank you, everyone, so very much for listening, especially for this goofy episode. This is in a... I'm in, a, I'm in a, an unfamiliar place. I'm pacing back and forth with the mic. You probably heard my feet scraping across the floor. And, uh, and you probably heard people yelling and things like that occasionally, or just loud people. But thank you so much for listening, everyone. So, rocking all week with you. Happy Days Podcast. Um, I don't know. Um, I'll post it. Uh, uh, you can go on eventuallysupertrain.blogspot.com. Leave a uh, comment if you want. Uh, and, and go, I guess, eventually supertrain on Facebook, at esupertrain1 on Twitter. And I don't really have a. I should set something up for this podcast, but it's been a, it's been a fun time doing this, and I'm excited to do the next two episodes because we are. Um, all you think is uh, Back to the Future Three. It's Howdy Doody time. Yeah. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I don't know if I, you'll hear another episode that sounds like this. I don't know. As I'm recording this, I don't know if this episode sounds too crazy. I still have Chillers, the West Virginian anthology film. The last segment is playing. We're in the last, yeah, last segment where the uh, crazy redheaded gal is is bothering the college professor. If you know the film, so thank you, everybody, for listening to this. It's, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the sound wave as it's going here. But thank you everyone for listening to the podcast, and um, yeah. 
uh, next time, uh, cruising and howdy doody stuff. Monday, Monday, happy days. Tuesday, Wednesday, happy days. Thursday, Friday, happy days. The weekend comes, my cycle hums. Ready to race to you. These days are on. Happy days. These days are on. Share them with me. Goodbye, gray sky. Hello, blue. There's nothing can hold.